Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Hope you had a happy holiday. And are getting set for a happy new year. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Santa was good to the uh, Jones household. How about the blocks? Santa was very good, a little too good probably, but uh, the family's uh, happy and uh, can't complain. And uh, I'm enjoying a week doing nothing other than this is my only obligation of this entire week, Keith, was uh, meeting up with you. And I couldn't even honor that. We pushed back our tape time. So I appreciate your flexibility, sir. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Uh, uh, we've got uh, Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will join us uh Next segment, we'll talk a little Florida State football and basketball. Uh, you know, the transfer portal, I will say this, Keith, for all of our uh, old man talk about the transfer portal, it does sort of make it that you never know which day of the week somebody new might show up on the roster, so it makes it a little interesting that way. You certainly uh, find yourself paying attention. I'll tell you something else. I had some conversations over the holidays with a couple of my former teammates, so again, continuing that old man theme, and you know, we all shake our heads and We've talked about the transfer portal, and, and mainly we've talked about the negatives or the downsides to it. But the reality is, Tom, that every program is probably going to have 10, 12, 15 kids go into the portal every year. Now, that may slow down a little bit when times change a little, but you need to embrace it if you're a staff. And I think that's one of the things that Coach Norvell and his staff have done. You know, all of us have been uh, brought along dragging and screaming, but they've embraced it. And I, I think you're starting to see the fruits of some of their uh, labor, if you will, and some of their research and their diligence that they started a long time ago. Florida State picked up a commitment on uh, Tuesday. We'll talk about that with Bob. Keith and I are taping this show uh, Tuesday afternoon, evening, in full disclosure. So anything that's happened since then would be news to us. But uh, Bob Ferrante will break it all down. I think you're right about that, Keith. Florida State up to five in the transfer portal after 11 or 12 last year, and they're going to get a healthy number again this year. So, again, more on more on that front and also basketball missing its game tonight for COVID reasons related to Boston College. We'll talk about the implications and ramifications there. And then, Keith, in the second half of the show, I have uh, put together a list of, uh, I don't know that I'd call them resolutions, but the thing they're things college football needs to resolve to do to get better. And I, I will share that list and let you react. It's nothing earth shattering. But uh, anyway, that's all coming up. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. 
Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. The holidays are here. We wanted to take a moment to thank all of our customers for their business. We also want to say thank you to all our Austin employees for their hard work and dedication this year. The holiday is about family and friends and great memories. But if you happen to be in the market for a car or truck, we'd love to help. Or if you want to service the one you already have just in time for your holiday trip, we can help too. So come see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. From our family to yours, Merry Christmas. And a safe and happy New Year. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. And Keith, we really have to uh, salute our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who is breaking up his holiday vacation by pulling over in parts unknown onto the side of the road to talk to us for a few minutes because he wasn't in a great cell zone. Uh, that will be reflected in your holiday bonus check. Don't worry, Bob. How are you, sir? Bob Ferrante joins us. I'm doing well, uh, Santa. Good, good to you guys. He was. He was. Very good, in fact. I can't speak for Keith. He was good to the Block family. Keith, everything good on your end? Very good on my end as well. Excellent. Bob joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. All right, so what Santa brought Mike Norvell and company is a 6'7 wide receiver, Bob. That, as a starting point, I know that there's not exactly uh, – the, the the stat columns are not filled out with 86 receptions for 2,000 yards and 19 touchdowns, but four-star out of high school and 6'7, those are two pretty good things to hang our hats on. I think Mike Norvell knew – which position groups he had to improve on through the transfer portal. And especially when you strike out with the high school signees in the early signing period, he had to get two wide receivers. Um, and, and yeah, so Johnny Wilson really fits the bill. Um, and, and Micah Pittman is high school teammate too. I mean, they're both what top 200 high school guys. So, you know, the talent is there, you know, that there's ability to play with. Um, the question is why didn't they fit in, at their previous stops, you know, why weren't they productive at, at Oregon and Arizona state? And why do you think they might fit in really, really well here in Tallahassee? So it, it's going to be a big question mark, but I think that's what the whole transfer portal is all about. You have to kind of gauge why a guy went in the portal and what he can do for you. Bottom line to me is the opportunities there. I, I mean, this is a room that had to be upgraded, had to be improved. Mike Norvell played this position in college has coached it at, at every level, you know, up, up through offensive coordinator, now head coach. I think he knew what he had in the room and knew it was just essential to bring in two receivers like this. you got to continue to be impressed, I think, Bob, with what uh, Norvell and his staff is doing with this thing called the transfer portal. We get, I know our listeners get tired of us talking about it and bemoaning it and that type of thing, but it is what it is. And uh, they certainly have taken advantage of learning about it and, and, you know, becoming skilled at it. Yeah, and I think it's it's new. The coaching staff has figured it out pretty well. I think overall, you know, some programs like Michigan State have really leaned on it heavily. Others more than others. I I like what Norvell's doing. You know, I, I kind of walked out of the the Moore Athletic Center December fifteenth in the afternoon and thought, well, that's not the most impressive signing class for Florida State because, as Norvell said, they hit on a lot of needs. But, but missed on a lot of needs too. But by the end of the day, you get a Julian Armella, 
you feel a little bit better. And by Christmas Day, you've got, you know, another offensive lineman in the Wisconsin kid, two more receivers, uh, a defensive back who committed on Tuesday in the afternoon. So I guess bottom line is we can no longer evaluate newcomers and a signing class by the high school criteria. It's really the big picture, and it, it just takes longer for that big picture to take shape with this with this transfer portal. I'll say, Bob, now this is the glass is half full because we're thinking that the four stars receivers are going to be four stars. But when you look at Florida State's receiving, you think about Wilson and Malik McLean at one position and, and Pittman and Ontario Wilson at another, and then the slot being, say, Ja'Kai Douglas and, and Keyshawn Helton, it does feel all of a sudden like that's markedly better than where they were just a month ago. Yeah, and again, uh, on, on December 15th, you don't feel so great about the receiver room because you lose out on Devon Mortimer, the uh, the prep receiver from down South Florida. He backs off, the commitment goes to Louisville, and you start to say, well, what what do you have that's new? What are you adding to the room? But again, 10 days later, you feel considerably better. I, I think the factor you always have to look at is a guy like Ontario and a guy like Keyshawn are, are always going to be complementary pieces. They're going to be necessary but you don't want to ever feel like those have to be your go-to guys, your number ones. And I think too often they've felt that burden, that pressure. And is that why you see drops? Is that why you see, I don't know, mistakes along the way, the pre-snap penalties that, that kind of hit this team in September so hard. Um, but, but now maybe they can settle in with, with this new group and, and not feel so much pressure. They, they can just be Keyshawn Helton, be Ontario Wilson, and, and maybe the pieces come together. Um, I, again, I think the good thing is you get the spring to figure that out. These guys will all be in here um, pretty soon to start classes and then the offseason conditioning. And then you, you kind of see how quickly guys can learn an offense in March. Bob, we're seeing a lot with the, the virus and the havoc that it's raining on bowl games, changing gears a little bit. Uh, I guess we're just crossing our fingers and hoping it doesn't hit the playoff teams. Yeah, I know this is the last thing that people want to listen to, uh, you know, sports broadcasters and writers talk about is, is COVID yet again. And we're, we're 18 months into it, but it's it's the reality with this variant. I, I think I think the, the best thing you can say about it is the majority of the athletes are vaccinated. I heard some some numbers for a couple of the teams. They were in the, the high 90s as far as vaccination rates. Um, you know, the best thing they can do is, is stay safe. Some of the guys down in South Florida did a, I think, an outing on a boat, um, uh, you know, a dinner night out on the boat, but it was with just guys on the team. It was kind of a smaller group. It's not as big of a party, not as big of a bowl structure as in past years. I think all the bowls are figuring out that you have to slim things down and kind of minimize, um, you know, the, the exposure to the players and the coaches and the staffs. Um, I'm very optimistic that we'll pull this all off on, on what on Friday with the championship games, with the semifinals, but, but yeah, it's been tough to see, you know, the ACC teams have to drop out um, to not see a Miami or Virginia uh, get to play a BC, get to play. And, and unfortunately the, the financial, you know, byproduct of that to a, to a far lesser extent is just what's the distribution going to be among the schools when, when ACC teams aren't playing in as many bowl games. But going back to our original thoughts, you know, maybe when sports started back up in, in say, June, July of 2020, I think it made us appreciate the games that we got, the games that we did get to see. 
we're always going to lament the ones that are missing and that, that won't be played. I hate it for those seniors who don't get to play in a bowl game, but I think we're going to get enough games to make us appreciate those games. Related to basketball, and now a third straight missed game as the Knowles won't play BC tonight. I actually feel like, and, and I know BC is not very good, but Florida State hadn't been that good on the hardwood either. I, I'm not going to, I'm going to make the argument, I guess, that it, it might be better that Leonard and his team can practice every day this week and have a couple that are in football, they'd say we're just going back to fundamentals. I, I feel like a four day training camp for the Hoops team and then Friday getting ready for NC State might not be a bad thing. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear, you know, once we get to talk to Coach Hamilton later in the week, you know, how many scrimmages did they do? Did they do um, just a bunch of hard practices in a row? Was it was it back to kind of a, a spring training type of fundamentals practices? I, I think that's good for a team that we can see the flaws. We, we know what they are, but we also know the talents there. Um, you know, honestly, a big thing, the continuity hasn't been there. You haven't had a full roster. Um, you've had Tenor Nagam on the sideline. Naheem McLeod was on the sideline for a while. Um, you know, Raekwon Evans lost his brother and was missing for a few games and, and has had to deal with, with the emotions there. Uh, Cam Fletcher has had the facial fracture. And these are all rotational players. And it, and it hurts when your rotation is, is so mixed up. And um, it, it's, it's just been a tough thing, I think, for them to sort through. Yeah, you'd love to see them have won that Syracuse game and get off to a one and zero start in the conference, but you kind of get back to the drawing board now, and and you just evaluate and and hone in on technique on, you know, playing against this defense and preparing for for that team. It, it's really the you got to make the best of the situation. In, in basketball, reference back to the football analogies like that offensive line that we haven't even talked about. I mean, you got to have reps together. And that motion offense, the, the Leonard's defensive principles, I mean, the only way to get better at that is doing it. Yeah, I think that's where the continuity hit them. And I, you know, look, is this a reason or is, it, is this an excuse? I, I think you, you can say the loss at South Carolina on the road, neutral, Rock Hill, it's bad, yeah. But are there reasons for, for a loss like that? And it's just, it comes back to, Younger guys not used to the system. Younger guys not used to that Syracuse zone, that kind of two-three, that uh, that that one-three-one that they ran um, at times in that second half of the Syracuse game. I, I think that Hamilton and Stan Jones and the staff—they've tried to figure out how to be patient, but also know when to push, when to pull back because you know that you don't want to overwhelm the kids with something that's just a little too much for them. And, and that's a tough spot to be in because I think the coaches are used to being able to push right away and, and knowing, you know, you got Terrence Mann and Trent Forrest and Devin Vassell and, you know, Patrick Williams is getting it and all this, this and that. I, I still feel good about the talent on the roster. I, I worry about not having enough seven footers, not having enough rebounders and Malik Osborne having to play the five. That's, that's a burden. Whereas he's, he's a natural four right now in his career. There's a lot of things to be, I guess, curious and concerned about. But I think it's going to get better through practice and through continuity, just getting guys back on the court together. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the things are, are easily correctable, Bob. You mentioned that game, which, which I called that game. South Carolina got three baskets 
on on blown defense on inbound passes. Two of them were complete runouts where they didn't have somebody deep, so that's four quick points. Another one was in the half court where they just didn't guard somebody cutting to the basket. I mean, those everybody focuses on the shot that was missed at the end, which was a wide-open look for Malik, but that's six points in the course of the game, not even from your half-court defense or offense, just from falling asleep or, or not knowing what you're supposed to do defensively to, against those inbound passes. Right. It's the little things. I, I think I, I feel bad for Malik because he wanted to make that shot. He wanted to kind of be the guy who rescued at the end, but it, it didn't come down to that last shot. It should not have come down to that last shot. Um, you know, the defense in the second half really let them down. Um, and Florida State's been in position. It's been a really good position in halftime of, of a lot of these games. I think the, the last, what, three of those losses, not counting Purdue, they've led at the half. They've been in good shape. Um, yeah, you can say other teams made good adjustments. You can say, um, you know, Florida State just, just made too many mistakes. But looking at the percentages, looking at the numbers, Florida State hasn't shot as well in the second half. Other teams have shot really, really well in the second half. It's it's just not clicking after halftime. And again, I, I think you can you can look at it and choose to hit the panic button as a fan, or you can say this is a team that was going to have growing pains. And I'm I'm curious where it goes. And I think I lean toward that whole let's be curious and kind of see where it goes. It, it definitely doesn't look like a uh, second weekend NCAA tournament team right now, but typically a Hamilton team does develop a little bit later and kind of get rolling in January and February. And that's, that's about where we're about to get to. Well, you're starting the ACC schedule and that's when people are going to start really paying attention. So, uh, you know, uh, get one in before or at uh, New Year's day and then uh, turn that page, get back in school and get back after it. Yeah, I think it's a tough one on the road at NC State. And then I think the, the big thing, obviously, beyond hosting Louisville that, that following Saturday is this schedule might get really consolidated. It might get really condensed because they're going to try and jam in some of these games that have been lost already. You know, the ACC will want to make up as many games because it's a, it's a pure TV deal and giving inventory to, to ESPN or ACC Network or whoever. So do we see a bunch of say Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday weeks where guys just have to play and then come back home and go to school and study and get back out on the road again and maybe play. And we're going to see some really tough turnarounds where it's going to test, you know, it's going to test a lot of schools. Um, does Florida have, have the depth yet again to overcome those kind of tight turnarounds? Um, are, are they healthy? Are they able to stay healthy down the stretch or not? I think you can see some big questions, but again, the advantage for the Hamilton teams have been typically you're deep, you're deep at guard, forward, and center. Um, this year, probably not going to be as deep at center just because of Tenor's injury, but you still have enough guys up and down the roster. You can lean on a Harrison Prieto, you know, walk on it at forward who can play significant minutes and has definitely done it in the past. So I, I think there's, there's reasons to be, you know, really optimistic about where this team can go. But I'm also curious, you know, when that schedule gets really jammed, when you're playing three games in a week and um, quick turnarounds as far as scouting reports and studying, it, it's going to get really, really tough. Hey, Bob, we'll finish up going back to football. You just casually dropped in that FSU picked up a another body from the transfer portal on Tuesday. Uh, James Greedy Vance from Louisville. Little known fact for our listeners – 
when Keith played at Wildwood, his his nickname was Keith Greedy Jones. And so now Florida State has Greedy Vance from uh, from the Cardinals. What can you tell us about uh, this Louisville DB? Yeah, Greedy's a kid from New Orleans, and it, it sounds like uh, reading some stories about him, he wanted to be a little bit closer to home. So, you know, it doesn't sound super close to New Orleans, but it's definitely a lot closer than Louisville. Um, I think there's a chance for him to play, and the staff has had good luck bringing in some uh, transfer portal DBs. You know, Jamie Robinson was really a, a, a breakout star, I think, for them at safety. And, um, you know, they've, they've had some misses, yes, with, with like a Miko Dotson type. But what can Greedy bring you? Um, he's a little undersized. You know, he's listed at 155. I'd be really curious what he truly is now and what they feel they can get him up to through Coach Storm's strength and conditioning program. Can he cover a nickel? Can he cover in the slot? Um, is he a number one DB? Probably not. But but if you're stockpiling corners and, and guys you think fit your system, I, I think Greedy's a guy you want to look at. Um, I, I just kind of, without knowing too much about him, I'm curious, is that 155 true? Or, or has he picked up a few pounds and he's a little bit uh, a little bit heavier? We'll see how it shakes out. Bob, we'll let you get back on the road. We appreciate it. Uh, tell the missus a big thanks, by the way, uh, for pausing your travel plans to uh, the Ferrante uh, Castle and Mansion over uh, New Year's. Have a good New Year, and we'll catch up next week. Happy New Year's, y'all. Take care. Thanks, Bob. Ferrante, our Osceola insider. We'll come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Your local independent auto owners agent is the Earl Bacon Agency. Call us at 878-2121 or visit us on the web at earlbacon.com. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back uh, to Bob's. Thanks to Bob Ferrante for joining us last segment. To his point, by the way, uh, Tallahassee is closer to New Orleans than Louisville. Uh, and I can attest that uh, door-to-door from uh, my house to my in-laws is 398 miles, which, depending on the number of stops you make and, and how far you want to go, uh, can be done in about five hours and 25 minutes. But generally, it runs about 615 for the black household. Well, as anybody who's been traveling over the holidays understands, I went down, Kathy and I went down to see my mom on Sunday after Christmas, and it was three hours down and four and a half hours back because of traffic, uh, just because of time of day situation. So if uh, if youngsters are wanting to get closer to home, 
Um, certainly, they need to take into uh, account drive times and times of day and, and those types of things. All right, Keith, as promised at the top of the show, ways to fix college football. Now, not all of this is groundbreaking or new. Many of them are, are things that we've talked about uh, from time to time or ad nauseum on this show. Uh, some are things you're going to agree with. Some are things you're not. But uh, here we go. Number one, first of all, related to all the opt-outs at bowl games and everything we got going on, uh, and I know we now have a redshirt rule where you can play four games over the course of the year and still redshirt. Well, even beyond that, whether you've played four or not, they should just let anybody on the roster play in the bowl game. Doesn't affect your eligibility at all. What do you say? No problem with that. Exactly. You've played four games. We're not going to burn a red shirt. Go ahead. We need bodies. We can see the – because that's where these bowl games are heading. Anybody that's that's got a resume is opting out, and so it's it's become a – it's sort of becoming like a spring practice. Like, let's see who looks good and get the newcomers in there. All right, this one you're not going to like, Keith, and th- this one is not my idea. Uh, and I don't know that it, it won't solve their Jermaine Johnsons and the guys that are going to be first-round picks – but I think the bowl games might need to start sharing their money with the players to motivate them a little bit to go to some of these bowl games. I don't well, know. They can just, they can just an appearance fee. Well, no, What's they that? can hire them to be spokespersons for the bowl games. Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I mean, pay everybody on the roster an appearance fee of a couple grand or whatever. When I say I don't know that it moves the needle with Jermaine Johnson, if you're about to be a first-round pick and you're staring at seven figures – what what is a what is a December twenty seventh bowl going to offer you that makes sense for the bowl and makes sense for you to risk that injury and opt back in? I, I don't know that there's enough that you can get there for those type guys. And while there are uh, a, a large number of bowls, I'll go back to one minor point that would dovetail that. A good reason to consider expanding the playoff from four teams to eight or sixteen or whatever it goes to is if you play those games through bowls, that now makes that bowl game significant where maybe it's not previously. And then you rotate them amongst the, the level twos, blah, blah, blah. You can see where I'm going with that. Yep. All right, here's another one we've talked about. We went back and forth on it. I'm, I'm going back again. The, the early signing period just needs to move to August. We don't need to have this uh, frenetic free agency period right after the season. I realize if you sign in August, your coach might leave. And we can debate whether or not you then get a get another mulligan to open up your recruitment again or whether that counts as your one-time transfer. But I, I, where it is right now just doesn't make sense. So I say put it in August. Now, now bear in mind, Keith, I will say this. Not every kid's going to be ready to sign in August, and not every program is going to want to spend a scholarship on a kid if they're still trying to see how his senior year develops. So I don't know that quite as many would sign in August as they're signing in December. But either way, if your coach leaves, then you open it back up and you can sign in the regular signing day, first Wednesday in February. I thought that was where they were going with this to begin with, because originally the early signing period, it's intent, whether people remember or not, but the early signing period intent was that a youngster didn't have to go through the rigors of being recruited during his last season as a senior in high school. He could make that decision, be done with it, and people would leave him alone. The problem now is, as we talked about over the last couple of weeks, we're trying to find a way to find a a date that takes care of the coach's carousel, not anything related to the players. It's strictly related to the coaches and the program. I don't know if August 1 or early August is the right time, uh, but I do think that December is not as good a time as some time else would be, if that's a way of saying it. 
Well, and there's 130 programs. And if you get 20 or 25 coaches who turn over, yes, that puts a lot of kids back in the pool of free agents, if you will. But that is what it is. And another layer of that would be, you know, do you get that option only if your head coach leaves or what if your position coach leaves or your coordinator leaves or the guy who recruited you leaves? I don't know the answer to that. I just know that December is not working right now. The 22 season for Florida State, I think folks know that FSU is opening with a tune-up game against Duquesne before they play LSU in New Orleans. What people may not know is the reason that FSU is getting to do that, and this exemption has existed for a while, if you are a school that is playing at Hawaii, and Duquesne is doing that in mid-September next year, you get to start your season earlier to allow for extra time to make up for that travel all the way to Hawaii and back. And, and thus, Florida State can play a school like that, and that's why they're getting the exemption to start the season a week earlier than Labor Day weekend. I say we just need to be done with that as an exemption and just allow everybody the opportunity to open up a week earlier because the, the, the bigger byproduct probably than getting a, a warm-up game, if you will, for LSU is FSU will now get two bye weeks during next regular season. Normally you get one. So if you let everybody start the last Saturday in August or, or the Saturday, not two days before Labor Day, nine days before Labor Day, then everybody gets two bye weeks. That's where we need to land. You've made the argument that I have agreed with for several years now that, you know, we used to play 10 games. Now we play 11 games. Now we play 12 games. And, you know, for those that do make the playoff, they're playing 13 and 14 and 15 or whatever the number is that, that, two bye week season needs to be a permanent part of the format. And I agree with you. Well, and here's how you solve the other issue that will arise, which is I think right now schools get 28 practice days. And so if you back up the start of the season, then you get earlier in July to start. Forget that. As we've talked about Keith, August 1st, that's the first day you can practice. Everybody gets the same amount of time. In the case of FSU this year, they'd get three full weeks and then a game week for Duquesne. So you get four weeks. And if you're treating Duquesne as, a, as an exhibition game, in effect, you get the next week to get ready for LSU. So that's five weeks before your first real game. It's enough time. You don't have to allow practice to start July 20th to make this work. Just set August 1st as the day. No, that's not the way you do it. You do it by taking the 28 days and making them 24 days or 22 days. She's the same purpose. Well, we're saying the same thing. I'm just saying don't back it before August 1st. You always have to be a contrarian, Keith, even when you're not trying to be. So it's a gift. Another one. And you and I, we are claiming full credit when this comes to fruition because we were beating this drum long before anybody else was. Can we just play the FCS opponents as spring game opponents? Uh, there needs to be a rule. You can either play an FBS school in like a controlled scrimmage. I, I think there will be resistance from coaches to actually – an FSU-Auburn game for a spring game. Fans would love it. Then if you lose 28-7 to Auburn, the, the, the shine of the offseason is kind of gone, and there, there's injury concerns. But there's no reason you couldn't take your DBs and line them up against Auburn's wide receivers and do board drills with the linemen and, and do other drills. But if it was an FCS opponent, just go ahead and play the game and, and add a little bit more interest to your spring football game. What's going to happen, and, and I'm afraid it's already happened, is the halves – are going to have more and the have nots instead of them not having more, they're actually going to lose some things. So you had a, a smaller school that would get a guaranteed game or two that would help balance their budget. 
we live in an environment now where you're not going to get that game at all. And so it's probably in everyone's best interest to find a way, A, to make those spring games more entertaining, and B, continue to try to find some way to supplement these smaller schools from a financial standpoint. We've talked about it a long time. I like the idea. I like FSU playing Auburn. I'm not worried about the the shine being off because it's a spring game. It's not a regular season game. But you certainly would create more interest and be able to uh, generate, and unfortunately that's the world we live in, generate some dollars either way that you did that. Okay, this one is specific to the ACC, though every conference could do it, and most are talking about it. We need to be done with divisions in the ACC, and whether it's a pod or whatever it is, I think it needs to be set up like the way basketball is. Basketball has, what, three permanent partners for FSU that they play twice a year, I think, in Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Miami. I would say in football, you just need two. FSU could get Clemson and Miami and then rotate everybody else in the league through so that you see them more frequently than every six years. Uh, or, yeah, it's every six years right now. You play at Virginia Tech once every 12 years if you're FSU. Be done with the divisions. There's not a single Noel fan that cares if FSU plays Wake Forest, Louisville, Syracuse, or Boston College this coming year. We would all be fine to skip a year and pick them up in two years. Nobody's going to miss those games. They would miss Clemson and Miami, and Florida State needs those marquee games to help sell tickets. You know, the, the whole concept of the divisions was intended to create some rivalries. And it just didn't work. I mean, okay, so the experiment has been exercised. We we're far enough into it. It doesn't work. So I agree with you. We go back to, to either the pods, the rotation, whatever the buzzword is. People would, uh, smarter than you and I and have upper pay grade can figure it out. But it makes no sense that you come to a university and play your four years and you haven't visited every other campus in the, in the conference. Now, again, there are those that says, well, that's a model that's gone away. They're not student athletes anymore. They're, they're semi-professional and it's a feeder into the NFL. Well, that may be true, but I'm not willing to give up everything that made college football unique and special. Related to that, and this idea will go to the Pac-12 commissioner, but I also think if you get to that from an ACC standpoint, we don't need to know who Florida State plays non-conference, or not non-conference, but we don't need to know the rest of their conference schedule for 2028 right now. Just announce it every October or November, however far in advance of the next year you need to be so that your booster organization can market and sell season tickets. Have a day. They got basketball, Operation Basketball. Just pick a day. We can put it on the ACC network now that we all get it. And you can unveil that this is who Florida State next year outside of Clemson and Miami. And it, oh, look at that. We, we're going to Blacksburg next year. And, oh, Georgia Tech's coming to Tallahassee. And we, look at that. We don't have to play Wake Forest. I, you know, I mean, who cares if we have it scheduled out till 2028? We don't need that. The baseball purists were, were not happy when they went to interleague games, what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? But I think it's been pretty good for Major League Baseball. I would take that one step further, Tommy. I would go to you only play eight conference games, and the two of the other four get scheduled within this new master conference that's going to come about in the next year or two. And you have a, a czar, and you may end up with some games that you never envisioned, uh, FSU, Washington State. And you just coordinate some intersectional games that were never on the calendar earlier, and we just continue to move this thing forward. Make sense? 
that was the next one on my list, Keith, was beyond the, the conference games, do exactly what the Pac-12 commissioner said. We don't need to schedule 10 years out. Pull it, you know, the NFL does it one year at a time. They build television programming and all kinds of conversation around it. Just pick a day after the championship game, so late January, and here's the schedule, and you find out exactly that. And to make that work, you have to get the conferences to agree on a number of conference games, or even if they don't, you have to get them to hold a couple of non-conference weekends, say Labor Day and the week after Labor Day. So the first two weekends in September are reserved, but then you do need the, the, the conferences to come together and, and align and be on the same page to schedule it. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean you can't get it done. And that, that would, I think it would help college football a lot. I mean, who's, do you really, do you have your calendar out? And I know you, you physically have a planner on your desk right now, Keith. Do you have 2029 in front of you to see who FSU is playing? Cause I know we already have a date with Notre Dame in 2029. I do not. And, right and, and when my world gets to that point, um, put me in the home. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got news for you. You may be headed to the home before 2029, Keith. I hate to break it to you. Just Thank you very much. Sure have, make sure they have good Wi-Fi there so we can continue to do this show. Can I, can, I can only imagine what it will sound like at that point. <laughs> well, so right. far, Tommy, I like your ideas. Maybe modify a couple, three of them or tweak them a little bit. But uh, make sure you write them down so that we can uh, record them and get credit for them when they come to fruition. Oh, I actually did. I actually wrote these down for the first time in the recorded history of Front Row Knowles. I actually typed up some notes, Keith. That's why this actually sounds scripted, because for a change, it was. Tell you what, we'll, <laughs> back, we'll come back with our final segment. I want to talk about the college football playoff and its future as we continue this conversation about how to fix college football. More Front Row Knowles right after this. The holidays are here. We wanted to take a moment to thank all of our customers for their business. We also want to say thank you to all our awesome employees for their hard work and dedication this year. The holiday is about family and friends and great memories. But if you happen to be in the market for a car or truck, we'd love to help. Or if you want to service the one you already have just in time for your holiday trip, we can help too. So come see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. From our family to yours, Merry Christmas. And a safe and happy new year. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call. So you can worry about more important things. Like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Your local independent auto owner's agent is the Earl Bacon Agency. Call us at 878-2121 or visit us on the web at earlbacon.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Okay, Tom and Keith back with you. We'll continue this conversation. We're going to get college football fixed in the between Christmas and New Year's. Just on a random middle of the week day, Keith, we can solve all these problems. It's really not that hard. When you- well, we've always said if they would make just one of us college football king, we could fix it. You know, college football commissioner's not even on this list, Keith. I went with the easy list. That's on the little bit more difficult list, so I, that's not even on my list, but all right, so this next playoff, I, I've gone back and forth on it. We just need to get to 12, 12 teams. 
let's just get to 12 teams. There, there's too many bowl games where nobody's interested anymore. So the more teams in the playoff, the more we're all interested in more games. Agree or disagree? Agree. Uh, again, we might disagree on the number. Is it eight? Is it 12? Is it 16? Whatever it is. But here's another new argument. I wish I could say that I am the author of it, but uh, actually is one of my teammates that mentioned it to me. He says, uh, well, let me get something straight, KJ. These kids are now making money playing ball, right? Okay, they're getting full cost of attendance. There's the opportunity for the academic stipends, and then obviously name, image, and likeness. Okay? Well, now they're getting paid, then they shouldn't mind paying playing another game or two. Yeah. The argument's that simple. You're getting $24,000, dollars $60,000 a year to play football. Then you got to play another game or two. Yeah, I hear you. I like it. I got, I got no problem with that. Now, this one is going to come up. If they don't fix this this time, this go-around in the playoff, Keith, we're going to have to shut down the show because I'm going to be so irate. But as you know, the Rose Bowl has been screwing up the college football postseason as long as there's been a college football postseason. It screwed FSU in 96 because of the Rose Bowl tie-in, and FSU, instead of playing Arizona State, had to play Florida again. Playoff this week, we have college football semifinals on New Year's Eve instead of New Year's Day. All because the Rose Bowl wants to have a game so the sun sets at the perfect time between the third and the fourth quarter after their parade. So they either need to cut those two games every year as the the college football semifinals and then tell them that they can't bid on the championship game and we'll move the championship game around to the Orange Bowl and Sugar Bowl and whatever other bowl game, whoever else wants to wants to bid. But we can't have the Rose Bowl be in the fly in the ointment anymore. It's got to be done. Agreed. Next. <laughs> Wait, you're going to let me go on that much of a monologue there, and then you're just going to throw in agree? I've never been a fan of the Rose Bowl, ever. Uh, you know, it used to be the annual game between USC and, and Ohio State or whatever it was. When I was growing up, you know, it was it was as bad as, as Oklahoma and Nebraska always being in the Orange Bowl because they had the tie-in and no one else participated. Um, yes, it's time to move on. And here's another one that would be easy to fix, and I, I don't understand why we're not here yet. We've been playing college football's national championship game on a Monday night for how many years now, Keith? Like 15 or 20? Probably. There, Other than Labor Day, there are no Monday night college football games ever. And yet, because we have to work around the NFL, we get to the biggest game of the year and we stick it on a Monday night early in the work week. And I, I said a couple of weeks ago now that I was sort of being facetious, sort of not, but this one's several years off. They really should move the championship game to the week before the Super Bowl, but that extends the season three or four weeks, and there's a lot of people that are going to say no to that. You can keep it the same damn week as right now. Just play it on Thursday or Friday that week instead of Monday. We're all gearing up. You get all week to look forward to it. If it's a Thursday night game, you might be a little sick on Friday. If it's a Friday night game, all the better. You have a bigger party. Can we just move it to Thursday or Friday night? Why are we doing this on Monday night? I got no good reason. No, there's no and good you, reason. And football and fans watch it. Football fans Florida watch State, it. Florida State and Miami were the reason that college football began playing on Monday night anyway. Way back in the day. Right. And the first right. one got canceled because of a hurricane. Yeah, I understand why they won't go to Saturday or Sunday and go head-to-head with NFL playoffs because that's a losing proposition. But the NFL is moving a wild card game to Monday night this coming January 
College football could go to a Friday night championship leading into all the NFL play. It'd be a heck of a weekend to be in Vegas, actually, for a football fan. But we just need to get it off Monday and move it on Friday. Extend the season by four whole days for two schools. It's not that big a deal. So moved. Do I hear a second? All right. Yeah, seconded. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Silence. Okay, good. Keith, nice job. We got a lot done. I'm not sure who we should send the, the link to for this show because there's not a commissioner. So I guess we got to send it to five conference commissioners and see if they can do anything with it. Hey, let's send it to, to, to Michael Alford and he'll get it done for us. I like your idea. I like your idea. Hey, Keith, have a great new year. And Same to you. Same to you. Y'all be safe. Enjoy your time. Will do. Yeah, we'll be in New Orleans back next week. Uh, you'll be at the beach, I know. But uh, yeah, happy new year to you and yours. And Purple Knowles listeners, uh, for better or worse, thanks for weathering the storm with us here for another year. And uh, good Lord willing, we'll be back in 2022. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. And thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.